0: welcome back to Just Interesting People podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy. So today we are talking to Katie from Debris-Free Oceans.
1: From a young age, Katie always had a special attachment to the ocean and to the environment and she started taking action really early when she was in high school actually. She started Debris-Free Oceans a few years later in law school with her best friend and now husband. And the mission of the organization is really to educate everyone, kids, individuals, company and all the representative to make a change and to make an impact because we cannot carry on like we do right now by using so much plastic and you know, not recycling it. Just to give you an idea, only 9% of the plastic is actually recycled in the United States. That's we really not a lot. So yeah, we cover a lot of different topics in this episode, talking about recycling, about zero waste lifestyle, about education, so we can all have a clear understanding on what's going on and how can we make a real change in our life. Hope you enjoy the show. Katie, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: You're welcome. Um, It took us a little bit of time to record this episode. Uh, You were on the list a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really, really happy to have you today on the show and to record this episode with you. Uh, Because you don't know that, but thanks to your event, you made our life in Miami way better. Uh, And I'll explain why in a minute. (laughs) Um, but the reason you're on the show is because you are the co-founder of an organization in Miami called Debris Free Oceans. And we actually met you for the first time at the Winwood Yard. Miss you guys. Uh, <laughs> during one of your uh, pub crawl where we cleaned the neighborhood. So we were picking up trash and stopping a couple of times in different pubs and restaurants to get a drink and snack and yeah we were cleaning around meeting cool people and everything and it's actually in one of those events that we met uh jojo the producer of daybreaker miami and through daybreaker we met plenty of people that made our experience in miami really different so yeah that's that's a really good memory this this first (laughs) pickup
2: yeah uh that's awesome to hear um it's cool to hear you say that because it's funny. I, I've had a lot of people talk to me about our events where they've met like that's how they've come into their current, you know, group of friends or mm-hmm. things like that. Like I've actually had three different people who have met their significant others oh. at a debris <laughs> event. One how has cool. gotten married.
3: Wow. one just
2: to that person one just recently moved in with their significant other like yesterday uh, <laughs> and the others are like talking about moving in together so it's kind wow. of funny I'm like I think we might have three marriages come out <laughs> of the pre oceans event I think the great thing about it is is that
0: like when we were first in Miami we were like okay well we don't know how long we're staying we'll just enjoy it and be tourists and then it was once we realized we could stay that we were like okay we need to meet like-minded people who care about the environment who are good people who are not just out in South Beach clubbing and drinking mojitos for mm-hmm. however much money and things we we're like okay we'll go to this event and it'll be fun and it was actually so much not better than I thought it would because I thought it would be good but it was such a great place to meet amazing people who actually care and who I don't know yeah it was great thank you again for <laughs> <laughs> for doing that even though I don't know yeah it was like James at the start of our journey of meeting a whole group of friends and go to Daybreak and getting involved with that whole thing, which wouldn't have happened without you. So thank you. Oh,
2: that's so awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah.
1: So before we dive into your story, I'm going to give uh, a quick, uh, some context to the audience. Um, so Debrief Ocean is an organization based in Miami. And you're basically like on a, on a mission to educate as many people as possible uh, about plastics about pollution about zero waste lifestyle about basically what we can do as individuals companies communities how we can help with this plastic issue that we have right now in the world you organize cleanups on the beach or events you organize uh, educational events at school or with politics or businesses and also you do we we've never done those ones, the zero waste lifestyle events that I'm really curious about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and I was looking on your website, your numbers, it's actually amazing. You picked up thirty six thousand pounds of trash in Miami. Uh for people yeah. like me not speaking in trash is sixteen thousand kilo. That's Huge. <laughs>
2: That's yeah, we actually just beat the 40,000 mark. Oh, wow. I need to update our, our website. But yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And then when you think about it, that most of that trash is plastic, which weighs very little. Yeah. Um, I've actually been recently wanting to calculate it in terms of Olympic swimming pool size, mm. like the volume. So I, I still need to do that. But yeah, 40,000 pounds is like a significant volume because it's all plastic. Um, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, we're really Um, proud
1: of that. And also through your events, uh, education or zero-waste lifestyle events, you educated on the topic like more than, I mean, pretty much 20,000 people, um, Mm -hmm. 18,000 something, Mm -hmm. which also it's amazing because educating kids and everything, the future generation is going to be a key into uh, solving this problem. So well done for that that's that's amazing and and keep doing what you're doing because it's amazing but yeah the first question I have for you actually is how did you get started with this I have no idea
2: (laughs) um so I got started with this I've always been really into the environment into the ocean and by always been I mean I was actually a thespian in middle school and high school and then I um someone into theater acting
0: oh okay uh, i was like i have no idea what that word is <laughs> yes so okay.
2: i was you know my parents thought i was going to go to new york city try to go be on broadway etc yeah. and then all of a sudden i think it was my sophomore year summer in high school i read a book called ocean's end
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it taught me of all of the ocean issues that were going on in the world and until then, I had always been an ocean lover. I grew up in Southeast Florida. Uh, my mom was a fisherwoman, so we would go out deep-sea fishing. We'd, I would go surfing with my brother. We were big water people. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that there were problems with our water. Uh, mm-hmm. So once I learned that, I became extremely dedicated to solving ocean problems. Um, I knew that that was my new path. That's what I was going to do. Um, and so I actually started... With my high school, I created the first environmental club there. We used to use Mm -hmm. styrofoam plates and plastic forks and everything at the cafeteria. And I created like a little movement amongst my friends to bring our own bowls to the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Um, And then teachers started following suit. And then ultimately the principal ended up doing it as well. And it created this kind of commotion at the school, and ultimately they switched over to reusables, and um, you know got rid of the Styrofoam and disposables and everything. And now, um, this is my alma mater, Palmer Trinity. It's you know known as one of the most eco-friendly, sustainable schools in in Miami. And we've since then I've helped them eliminate, you know, most plastics uh, from their campus, including plastic water bottles and everything. They don't have anything on campus, um, which is amazing. I'm very proud of them. Um, But anyway, so I got really involved there and then, you know, went to college to UM, University of Miami for ecosystem science and policy. I also Mm -hmm. was really involved in the Earth Club there. Uh, became the president, started hosting cleanups with people at the University of Miami um, and other events. Um, I realized, you know, I could kind of go the science route or I could kind of go the people route. And I felt that I was a people person. I like Mm -hmm. to be around people. I like to talk to people, like (laughs) to get them excited about nerdy subject matters. (laughs) Um, So I decided I should go to law school um, cause one of my teachers, I took a philosophy of law and morality course, and I thought it was really fascinating that, uh, laws are just a reflection of our moral values. And so for some reason that stuck with me and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. So I want to go to law school to learn more about it. So then maybe I can help society and how we, how our moral fabric is so that we create laws that, you know, better the environment. Um, so then I went to law school at university of Florida, uh, met some amazing friends there. Um, I had an incredible professor. They have an amazing environmental and land use law program, and they have something called the conservation clinic there, um, where basically you get to, as a, not yet a lawyer, put on your pretend lawyer shoes and, um, help different people with different cases. Um, so I was able to do – actually, before this, I went to my second year of law school, my second year summer. I took an alternative path, um, and I decided to bike across the country um, rather than go and get a traditional – law firm job. It was very controversial at my law school because I, they kept saying like, oh, you're messing up the numbers. But luckily, one <laughs> of my professors who at the conservation clinic was like, no, you should do this. This is good opportunity. So I was kind of in the middle of the conservation clinic where my project was setting up a marine protected area in the Bahamas. Mm. So it was working with local fishermen, the government, and, you know, how do we get uh, a marine protected area in place that the community supports.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I really enjoyed that community element, but working with the government and kind of how do we make everybody get along and how do we, you know, accommodate everybody's needs. Um, so I actually got to go down to the Bahamas and mm-hmm. and work on work on that uh, with a grant. And one night with my team, we were walking along the beach and we were like tripping over plastic, Um, just tons of it washing ashore. And this is a tiny little island of just a few thousand people. Um, It's called Long Island. And um, you know, these people weren't creating this trash. It was clearly just washing up ashore. So that really shocked me because it was literally like you could you you couldn't walk on the beach anymore mm-hmm. because it was, there was just so much trash. So that really shocked me that that, that was happening. Um, and then I did some papers in law school about plastic pollution and how it was impacting the environment. And I just really became kind of obsessed with the subject. And then while I was on that bike trip cross country, we were actually raising money and awareness for young adults with cancer and i was with a team of about 28 people and mm-hmm. as you're sitting on your bike for like 80 miles a day you have lots of time to think and to talk to people mm-hmm. and so it was really during that time that i kind of flushed out all these ideas of you know where what do i need to do how how do we need to address this plastic problem and i realized you know i need to create an organization where like this is the only thing it focuses on And I need to create an organization where it focuses on pushing positive action. Um, Mm. Because I had felt that prior to Debris Free Oceans, most of the environmental organizations that I had been a part of, you know, despite loving them, I felt that they had always come at issues in like a negative way, Mm. Um, like telling people like, this is what you're doing that's wrong. These are all the things that are going wrong in our environment which is important. You need to have those educational pieces to mm. so people understand the problem to make an action. But I felt like they stopped short of bringing the solution element forward so that people could feel like, okay, well, I can get involved and I can do something and I can be a part of this change. So I wanted to create an organization that got people involved. That's why the first word of Debris Free Ocean's mission is inspiring that's our entire purpose is to inspire people mm-hmm. to take action uh, and to innovate. Um, and so then when I got back to law school, I was lucky that I could take some credits outside of this law school and in in just get a mas- in the master's programs on the main campus. And I saw there was a nonprofit management course. And so I took that course and that course, the whole purpose of it was to essentially create a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So it actually literally walked me through the steps of how to create a nonprofit, create the business plan, create the strategy. So I'm very grateful that I had that opportunity because I basically spent an entire semester developing Debris Free Oceans. So
3: cool.
2: Um, Yeah, it was amazing. And then, you know, when I graduated law school, um, I still had, you know, I got a job and all of that. Um, But my best friend from law school, Sarah Fida, who's our co-founder, and I, and my now husband, Jeremy Wax, we all, you know, decided, you know, let's take the leap of faith and create this organization and see what happens. And I call it my firstborn child. So (laughs) it's about seven years old now. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, that was the long-winded answer, but I know this is a long interview, so I just no, went for No, what an incredible it. story. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible that one book that
0: you read, I don't know how old you were, then changed the whole school that you were with and how they dealt with plastic, and then went on to inspire this whole thing. It's incredible that one book did
2: all that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I need to go back and read that book again, I think. Yeah, I um, need to read it. <laughs> I mean, it's old now, but it was very impactful. It was, you know, startling to me. So, um, And I love the ocean so much, I couldn't imagine it being hurt. So I felt this is my purpose. This is what I'm supposed to do. So mm. here I go.
1: I I really love what you said about also the the way you want to achieve this because like you said there are many organizations like yours you know in, in the world trying to tackle this issue um, and I understand what you mean by the fact that some people try to do it by pointing the fingers at you know oh you're not doing this you're a bad person or trying to shame people or use fear and and stuff like that which it's not really encouraging it's not how you're going to get people to follow you uh, you need to inspire people, you need to educate people because I feel people take action if they understand why they need to take action. Just saying, like, do this, is probably not gonna, you're not gonna go anywhere. Where if you explain, this is the problem, this is how it's gonna impact your life and the life of your child and everything, then you have way more chance to have people supporting you on the long term. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you have a really interesting approach. And also, I've gotta say, and you, you came up also with a system that uh, is also cool, like the, this pub crawl we did. Like You pick up trash, but you have fun, which is also you know something really important to get people involved and to, to come along. And I mean, we are literally happy to come every month to do it because it was a fun event <laughs> and we're doing something good. Um, it, it's not a core, it's not a labor. Uh, it was actually just something cool to do. So I think that's really clever also. And... and it's a really good, clever approach. And this is why, also, I think you're having the success, if that's the word I can use, that you're having now, um, is because you, yeah, I think you have a really good approach about it.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I always wanted to have fun, I didn't want to not have fun. So I yeah. kind of <laughs> wanted to make it that way. But then I also did, you know, a lot of research into. You know the psychology of behavior change, um, and there's studies that have came out. Like for example, they did something on hand washing in a hospital, mm-hmm. and they used a bunch of fear tactics at first to see if they could increase hand washing rates. Like if you don't wash your hands, you can get these crazy diseases, and you're going right. to spread them. And they actually saw no increase in the hand washing behavior. Um, but when they used a different tactic, they used more of a um positive reinforcement, like, oh, you washed your hands, now you get a point. And then if you get a this many points, then you can do this. Um, mm. they saw like an crazy exponential increase in the amount of hand washing. And so it's kind of a silly example, but it just it was a it was actually a behavior change study yeah. on the psychology of behavior change and yeah, like the fear it kind of makes people shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the kind of more motivating element can and reward based element can make people act stronger. So like you said with the pub crawl pickup, yeah, like we're picking up trash, but you're bringing your own cup around, so you're we're doing the refill action. We're getting free drinks. We're getting free food by doing something good. So you're being rewarded this whole time.
1: So win, win, win situation.
2: Exactly. So, (laughs) you know, that's kind of what we, what we want to do. And, you know, with problems is where society can come up with incredible innovation. So, you know, I think the plastic pollution problem is extremely sad and frightening and scary, but it's also one of those times where, human ingenuity can innovate and come up with better ideas and strategies to address. So I think we try to harp on that element of it so we can move over the hump of, oh no, what do I do now?
1: (laughs) So do you want to tell us maybe a little bit for the, the people who are not really aware of the issue, what is the problem right now? with plastic pollution, and why is it important to act as soon as possible?
2: Yeah, so one of my favorite stats to say, um, kind of really puts it in perspective, I think, and it's, you know, looking at the Milky Way galaxy, there's 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And in 2015, scientists did a study that estimated that there were 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic in the ocean. So if you compare those, that means that there would be 13 times more pieces of plastic in the ocean than stars in our entire Milky Way galaxy.
0: Holy (laughs) shit (laughs) balls.
2: Yeah. So um, (laughs) that kind of puts it in perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so there's an overwhelming amount of, of plastic and, um, it's increasing at a rate of about three garbage trucks every single minute. And there's been a lot of studies pointing to that. They believe by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish by weight, Mm. um, which obviously that can cause a significant amount of issues with the food chain and food web because, you know, these ocean animals are consuming this plastic, uh, mistaking it for food. Um, They are being entangled in it, uh, unable to come out of it, which is causing them to also, you know, die or live, you know, not great lives. Um, It also impacts land creatures, what people don't really often realize. So actually half of the camels in the United Arab Emirates um, that were dying were actually found to have plastic bags in their in their stomachs. Um, and there were a series of cattle ranchers out in Texas trying to push for plastic bag bans because their cattle were eating the plastic bags and dying. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's interesting, it, you know, that we talk about it a lot as an ocean issue for animals, but it actually is a land issue as well. And then, you know, for, for humans, it, there's a lot of science going on right now studying this, but it's really scary They're, you know, they've, found plastic, you know, in human feces, Um, you know, they found it in the lungs. Um, Now there's uh, studies on what they're calling nanoparticles, which are these like tiny, 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 tiny bits of plastic, which they're finding are actually able to travel uh, through the uterus into fetuses. And they're not Mm. really sure what that's doing. There was a study that was done actually on rats. Um, and that was showing that that actually occurred. So the, the ripple effects of these plastics and the chemicals that are in them are, are really, you know, potentially very harmful to humans. And, um, you know, even just simple things like drinking out of a plastic water bottle, uh, there were studies done where, you know, those plastic water bottles, they leach little tiny plastic fragments. Also the chemicals from plastics, because mm. plastics are just oil and chemicals basically, um into the water and if you consume your uh you know average water intake through bottled water you're consuming about 90,000 extra plastic particles every single year um wow. and there's another study that came out recently saying that on average people are consuming about a credit card's worth of plastic every single week um so we just we just have so much of it around us i mean you know plastic is in everything, like even your clothes. And so they're finding like plastic dust is a really big thing now that, you know, we're inhaling, um, plastic can be absorbed through your skin. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a really evolving kind of scientific inquiry. That's really interesting. Um, you know, as things are are coming along, but they've already definitely discovered that, um, which is really interesting that plastics, uh, and the chemicals in them have caused male sperm counts to decrease mm. um, and actually male penis size to get smaller, um, which has been really interesting. So I use that one for my uh, <laughs> my, bi- my big guys that, you know, like, <laughs> plastic's not going to hurt me. Um but anyway, so, yeah, it's it's really quite interesting. I can ramble, obviously, on plastic pollution issues for a very long time. And, you know, there's the ep- economic ramifications of it as well. Um, having dirty, polluted beaches, especially in Miami, where it's yeah. primarily real estate and tourism-driven economy, we're nothing if we have dirty water and polluted yeah. water. Um, so, you know, it really can cause a lot of those problems as well. So yeah anyway happy to answer questions about (laughs)
0: this what's the solution in terms of I mean obviously you pick up trash but obviously we also at some point need to stop producing as much plastic so that at some point it stops like we were talking about this earlier with Jeremy what's the solution because I know that a lot of times food shopping if you're getting tomatoes or raspberries or anything like that it's always in plastic how do we I mean, I guess it's up to the big companies to stop using plastic for a start so that then we can stop using it because, you know, there's only so much you can do ourselves apart from using recycled things or, you know, reusable things. I mean, I don't know what's – I guess we have to wait for the big companies to take action
2: before (laughs) big changes are actually going to happen, right? Yeah, so it's it's really – when you ask what's the solution, you know, it's such a really broad – Answer. Um, you know, there's not the solution. There's many solutions that all kind of have to happen at once, which I'm really excited and hopeful because I see that groundswell beginning. Um, but kind of how I like to uh, kind of lay it out, I guess, um, at least in my mind, to help me understand a little bit more is kind of there's this various tiers where we mm-hmm. kind of have a consumer tier, we have the business tier. We have the government tier and each of those have to kind of be working simultaneously. So we've spent a lot of time on the consumer tier, Mm
3: -hmm. educating
2: consumers, uh, you know, creating that consumer demand for more uh, plastic free products, more sustainability, but then you have the businesses then that you need to help educate as well on how to now meet that new consumer demand. Mm. Um, And then the government, who can kind of come in as the uh, final, you know, rubber stamp on, okay, this is what consumers want. This is businesses are able to handle this now. And now we're going to come in and make sure that this is formalized and this is how things are going to run from now on. Um, And that's how I, I kind of envision things happening. I think, There's a lot to be said as well for government just kind of coming in and regulating. And then from there, a lot of innovation is spurred. Um, But a lot of the times that can cause a kind of cultural defiance um, because people don't like to just be told what to do. So I this kind of top down, also bottom up working all simultaneously is really our best bet because then you don't have so much combativeness when those regulations do come in, which are necessary. Mm -hmm. But you have people that are already open to it. Innovations are already happening. Businesses are already primed. Um, So I kind of see it in in that way. And then, you know, these innovations have to happen on, on a variety of scales too. So um, you know, looking at technology, looking at services, looking at product design. Um, you know, so, you know, I think there's a big place for technology to come in to help. So I was giving someone this example the other day and it's kind of a weird example, but I think it's great. So have you heard of rent the runway? Yeah. It's a, it's a clothing store online where you basically rent clothes. It's essentially a technology company that allows it so that we can kind of borrow and share and be more of like a sharing economy.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: you're not buying something new all the time. You're not throwing waste away. So it's this this kind of example, I feel like there's a lot of uh, space for mm-hmm. that type of business to come up in all different sectors where We become more of like a sharing society Mm -hmm. um so we're not just like buying my new thing and then throwing it away all the time
3: Mm
2: -hmm. um and then there's also a lot of technological innovations coming up with um, you know i guess we kind of break it down into the five r's we do reduce reuse recycle recapture and redesign so reduce you know that would be cutting out a lot of the beginning side of plastics you know in my mind we would essentially stop drilling for oil and natural gas for plastic. There's already so much plastic out there and we'd start Mm -hmm. to mine for more plastic, which would essentially be the most massive reduction of creating new plastic Mm -hmm. Um, and then reuse. So like reusing all of the plastic that we have, um, you know, we've been trained that plastic is this cheap disposable material. But when you really think about it, it's not at all i mean the process that plastic has to go through to become a little plastic fork is such an immense process from drilling the oil yeah. refining it bringing it to a factory to become a pellet sending the pellet to a mold sending that mold to a distributor where it's labeled and then from that distributor bringing it to the stores it's like that is not a cheap process. Mm. Yes. Um and and that process, you know, is very expensive carbon wise, etc. Um, and that material lasts forever. So I think if we can kind of reframe how we envision plastics as not cheap and disposable, but like very expensive and um valuable, mm. um, we will not treat it the way we treat it because it's inherently not a horrible, horrible material. Um, it can be used for good things like medical care, um, and that type of thing. But, you know, we just treat it so flippantly. Um, and then of course, recycling, recycling technologies are really, are advancing, but recycling is, you know, as I remind people, it's a for-profit business. So it's only done if people make money off of it. So Mm. even though Mm. something could be recycled, and I don't know how the recycling symbol is used in your countries, but in the United States, the recycling symbol is an unregulated symbol. It can be put on anything. Mm. So there's a lot going on with recycling technology. We have the ability to uh, break plastics back down into oil and chemicals, but it's expensive. And so, like I mentioned, you know, recycling is a for-profit business. Mm-hmm. So if there's not money for them to be made it can't be done so what we have technically available to us with recycling is much greater than what we have practically available to us and that Mm -hmm. i think is a large reason why recycling is not working Um, at least in the u.s less than nine percent of plastics are actually recycled Mm -hmm. um and most end up landfilled uh or in the oceans and so You know, we really need to ramp that up. But I think it's very important that the reduce element of recycling is not lost because if we don't cut off the tap um, with oil and gas being the building blocks of plastic, um, and we just try to recycle our ways out of this problem, that's not going to ultimately, you know, solve it. And that brings me to the next R recapture. (laughs) There's so much plastic out there. Mm -hmm. that we can recapture it um, and use that as kind of our new raw material, right? Like why not clean up what's already out there? And if our technology enhances with the recycling possibilities, you know, we can clean up the oceans, we can mine our landfills and use that, that, that material for what we need in the future. Mm -hmm. And again, for those more valuable plastics, whereas this disposable plastic culture can kind of be eliminated. And that's where the redesign comes to where, what can we take these old plastics and make them into new things, redesign them where, you know, they're for things that we use for a long time, uh, that are necessary for our lives. Um, and then of course, there's a lot of, um, innovations in the building blocks of plastics that are coming up, whether it's um, compostability uh, or otherwise, but there's, I can go a whole suite into that <laughs> side as well. So I'll stop there, but you're, you're kind of asking your question started with what is the solution? And I think it's all the things.
1: Yeah, and it's, everything. It's
2: doing all of these things and it's at every level too. We need, you know, we need the Big, big financial banking systems, um, which is actually already happening, which is really exciting. Only investing in those companies that are looking forward into our future, into sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, BlackRock investments a couple years ago, basically claiming that, you know, you're a non-investable company if you're not eliminating your carbon footprint by 2050. Which I think is incredible. So that was mm-hmm. huge impetus for business to be like Okay, we're gonna start carbon offsetting. We're gonna look at closed loop infrastructure. Um, so you know, it's from the banking community to like the you know consumer uh everyday shopping, how are you consuming your products to you know, the lawyers, to the accountants, setting up accounting systems so that we can better uh account for how we're internalizing the externalities of the cost of these things that we're doing to the planet? Like, what is the true cost of plastic on the planet, public health-wise, carbon-wise, and how do we account for those things? Um, You know, it's scientists continuing to study, it's technologists continuing to innovate, but it's like, all of these things happening uh, together and everyone working together to to really move us forward, I guess would be my answer of the solution is everything.
0: (laughs) I'm curious, what's your stance on recycled plastic for clothing? Because I know that's like a hot topic at the moment is recycled plastic bikinis, recycled plastic clothing, recycled plastic bags and shoes. What's your stance on that? Because even though that sounds like it's eco-friendly, sustainable, doing good for the planet, if you're wearing the plastic, she was saying earlier, it can get into your skin, it can get into your cells and get into babies before they're even born. What's your stance on that? Do you think it's a good thing or do you think we could use the plastic in other ways? And also, sort of a joint question. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it takes energy to turn plastics from something into something else. And do you think it's always worthwhile doing that? I don't know. Yes, so, okay.
2: Multiple Sorry, questions. double on me. So, <laughs> no, totally good. So, I guess I'll before I start, I'll just caveat with a lot of the times when I give answers, I'm really just asking another series of questions because mm-hmm. everything has trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's really a balancing of what trade-offs we're willing to accept and um, what is will what the environment can handle. So, I guess related to the clothing. Um, yes, recycled plastic is big in clothing, especially for things like bathing suits,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, leggings, those, you know, the materials that are stretchy are essentially all plastic. So, you know, yeah. your Lycras, your uh, spandex, um, yoga pants, etc. cetera. Um, so the issue with plastic being in clothes is that it releases microfibers when it's washed. Yeah. Yeah. So our water treatment systems don't have a filtering capacity for microfibers, or at least in the United States. So, mm-hmm. for example, when you wash your clothes, they, I think there is a study that they estimated there's about 100,000 microfibers that gets released every single wash. And those aren't removed at water treatment plants, and so they're directly released back into the environment. There was a Florida microplastics uh, awareness project that was done a while back, and I don't remember the exact percentages, and it was a citizen science initiative, but people were going out and taking scoops of Florida waterways and putting samples under the microscope to look at whether there were fibers in mm-hmm. the water. And in a majority, and I'm talking 80%, 90% of samples, there were microfibers found. Yeah. So there are a lot of microfibers out there. So that being said... Um, that can cause you know obviously big problems all of the things that we discussed previously but then you have the trade-off of people are making those clothes still but they're making it out of virgin plastic so is the recycled plastic right. better
1: mm-hmm.
2: i would say yes do we have something even better we can look to um there was a brand of swimwear i don't know if they're still doing it now uh that there was they were trying to use compostable plastics Mm-hmm. uh, for their bathing suits. Mm-hmm. So is that better? Um, you know, there is the whole issue with compostable plastics. They need to go to industrial composting facilities, which, um, you know, the United States has very few, Florida has none. So we need to also create the infrastructure where we can handle the waste of that, mm-hmm. but maybe that's a better option. So again, like I said, it's hard to give it an exact answer (laughs) I would say I would say it's better than using virgin plastic Mm. it's better to use recycled plastic for those materials but I think it is still a downgrading of the plastic material to a point where it then is not recyclable after you put it into like a pair of pants for example at least at this time Mm, so again that's where technological innovations could come in and you know maybe help us along um and then I forgot your second question
0: well and also about how much energy is made to change something from a plastic bottle to then something else that that obviously uses a lot of energy to do that and is that I mean I guess I don't really know what my question is but just I don't know like it obviously takes a lot of energy to do that which is then using more energy which is then damaging the planet even more to recycle all Mm -hmm. these things that we've already got like is that Mm -hmm. good or is that is it worth yeah, recycling? It's, it's, or yeah, you, really you have to evaluate the
1: difference between yeah. how much does it take to produce from a raw material or from the recycling thing, but, which might be equivalent. And if it's equivalent, then it's better to use what we have than produce more crap, I guess. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, maybe there's better systems. Like there are companies now where they're doing more of this, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but cradle-to-cradle design, where like the actual components of the uh, product can be sent back to the company. And then those components are used in their original state for other products. So like the screws or the, Mm. you know, the hard drive or the, Mm. you know, the, the plastic pieces. So it's almost like there's an idea of, you know, I think i saw something once where it was like the iphone could be built in like a modular way almost like legos where like if your battery died you could take out the battery and put another one in and then they can recycle the battery rather than like now you go to the apple store and they're like oh we'll give you a new phone yeah um so it's uh, you know rethinking also like product design so in terms of the clothing you know I know, I don't know how they do it, but there's a company called Rothy Shoes
3: mm-hmm. uh,
2: where they use plastic bottles and they make them into shoes. Um, and I, they have a recycling program for their shoes at the end of their life cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know exactly how that works, but um, if they directly reuse the material, like unspin it, you know, and yeah. then re-spin it, which yeah. would be cool. Um but yeah, so, you know, maybe there's a way of like recapturing those fabrics again um, and using the fabric in its same state. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's a constant kind of balancing of all of these different trade-offs. And um, I think it would be cool if we could kind of go towards maybe compostable materials in those suits. But again, you know, you, you have to have the right facilities to break it down right now mm-hmm. if a compostable cup like your bioplastic cup, the ones that mm. look like plastic ends up in the marine environment, it'll function just like a plastic cup. Yeah. yeah. So. So,
0: sorry, Jeremy. In- <laughs> Bring this back to you. I've got so many questions. <laughs> Jeremy always complains that I don't talk enough. Now I'm just going to talk the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Bring this back to you. What do you do with all the plastics that you collect on the beach cleanups? Do you take that to a recycling place or do you take it? I don't know. What do you do with all the plastic that you pick up?
2: Yeah, so I wish I had a really great answer. Like we, you know, build it into something. Um, but we honestly send it to landfill most of it. Yeah. Um there are a couple companies that were recycle specific things. For example, Terracycle will take cigarette butts. Um, some other packaging material. Um, If you're interested in that, you can look up where TerraCycle has drop-off points Mm because they'll take a lot of different materials that aren't traditionally recyclable. um, And they'll make them recyclable. Um, They also had an ocean plastics program at one point where they were using ocean plastics to uh, build like different soap bottles and stuff. I don't know if you saw at one point Method Hand Soap had an ocean plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. Um, But... A lot of the times, you know, we're doing cleanups in the mangroves. The uh, trash is extremely dirty and mucky. um, And that's not something that we can really use. Um, So we do send it to landfill. Um, We have done a couple art projects. Um, I'll have to send you a picture of one. We we collaborated with... I'm blanking on the creative agency, um, Supermarket Creative and Volunteercleanup.org. It's a friend group of ours. And then we helped make this collect the trash for an art piece that went in the Virgin Voyages headquarters here wow. in Miami. And it's this really pretty rainbow assortment of plastic. So that's like a cool use of uh, plastics from the beach. But right now, because recycling is where it mm. is, it doesn't really provide us with a lot of options other than sending it to landfill. And in my mind, I'm just hoping that we get to the point where we mine landfills yeah. um, for the plastic trash. And so that kind of makes me feel better. Cause it's like, well, at least it's not in the ocean, harming It'll animals. and yeah. It's in one place and you can go and get it and harvest it and make what we need.
0: Yeah. I remember in Miami, we like, we tried to recycle, they had like recycling um trash can and the normal trash can and then the trash people would come and it was just all going the same place (laughs) it was just like well what's the point what we bothering for like you know we were trying our best it only took us probably took us about a year to realize that they don't recycle in miami and it's just like how many people live in miami and how much plastic is there and there's not there's like zero you can't there's no option there was just nothing you could do it's just yeah and and also
1: I, I, i remember a video you shared katie um a while ago on your debris fusion page uh, that you went to visit a facility a recycling facility at some point and I, I remember something about that some materials some items are labeled as recyclable so we were putting them into the the right one the yellow one uh, and actually it was causing issues on the machine like some plastic wrap that was like uh, wrapping around the things cutting the plastic so it was actually blocking the machine and they had to stop so everything was going to the waste I don't know. it was really informative this video you did I'll, I'll try to find it and link yeah. it uh, but I've learned a lot about this one that was really interesting so you can't even rely on the sign like you said before is
2: yeah so what I always tell what recommend for people is so so your how recycling works is your your municipality at least in the United States your municipality or your county makes a contract with the recycling provider Mm -hmm. and so they're going to provide your county is going to provide the service to you which you pay taxes for Mm -hmm. and that company will come and you know pick it up like you're expecting so a lot of people go to like their county's website or their city's website to learn what's recyclable I actually advise against that. I think what you need to do is you need to find out who your county or your city has contracted with. Mm
3: -hmm. You
2: find that company and then you go to that company's website or you contact that company and you find out what's recyclable because things can change over time based on market values for plastics. Mm -hmm. And they'll let you know because it's in their best interest as the recycler to have you recycle right. Because when mm. you're recycling oh. a bunch of junk, they're wasting money and time sorting through your junk right. and getting what they can recycle. So when we, go, we went to the waste management facility, they have a communications director who their job is to communicate to the public what is recyclable because it's in their best interest mm-hmm. that people recycle better. Um, But it's very confusing because a lot of the times what the city signs say is they rely on the numbers. They go, okay, it's recyclable numbers one through six. And the numbers indicate the type of plastic. But, for example, when we went to the waste management facility, they were saying with plastics, they only want narrow neck bottles because that's what they get the most money for. And it has the least contamination rate. And so sometimes there could be a discrepancy between those two sources of information. So it's always great to go back to the actual company who's doing the recycling. And that company can change over time based on mm-hmm. contracts. So, yeah. um, you know, you kind of have to keep up with it, but, uh, you know, that's what I always recommend to know what's actually recyclable.
0: That's a great way to go to the actual company. Cause I would never yeah. have even thought of that. I would just <laughs> check Same the government. Here. Yeah. The local thing and think that they would know. So that's such good advice for people. Mm. listening
1: Mm -hmm. right my questions now (laughs) (laughs) I'll zip it (laughs) Um, no so my question was if we go back to the individuals us um, there are some things we can do that are obvious we can reduce the amount of single-use plastic Um, we can be respectful stop throwing things on, on the beach in the street and putting it somewhere Uh, that would be already massive things when you see how people treat the beach it's it's today we are recording on July 15th go to the beach on July 5th after the 4th of July celebration in Miami it's you don't want to see it it's disgusting Mm -hmm. around us people are so disrespectful it drives me nuts every time but whatever so yeah individual responsibility has to play a role and So there are obvious things we can do, like we can stop using plastic bags and just use like a a tote bag or whatever that you keep bringing back. So I can see a few things like that that are obvious to everyone that are easy also to implement. This one thing that I really struggle with is the zero waste lifestyle. Uh, Because if you go to Publix, Whole Foods, any kind of basic grocery store, you, yeah, you can pick your vegetables and you don't need a plastic bag even if the cashier is not going to be happy because it's messing up <laughs> his whole thing and you always got to look. <laughs> but that's fine. But, you know, if you want to have some yogurt, if you want to have some... I don't know. I mean, pretty much everything is wrapped in something. Whatever is cardboard or plastic or... And zero waste. I just... In my head, I, I it seems impossible. So I would love if you could give some advice on how we can implement things like that because i think that would be really valuable
2: yeah okay so i have a few answers i guess so first i guess in terms of the simple things that individuals could do don't underestimate those because if you look at the international coastal cleanup days data which is basically a snapshot of data every year over the past like 40 years of a cleanup that happens all around the world the top 10 items they find are those simple, easy, cut-out, single-use plastic items. They're the plastic forks. They're the um, plastic bottles. They're the plastic bags. So like, don't underestimate how impactful those small actions are from individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing, um, yeah, like coming back to like the yogurt containers and things like that um, and going fully zero waste. So- My first caveat with that is, you know, a lot of the times the idea of zero waste can overwhelm people and they'll be like, I can't do it. And it's like too shocking. So I like to tell people take the reducitarian approach where, you know, take one thing, focus on that for like a month, and then you get used to it and then go to your next thing. And the best way to pick those things is to basically. through your garbage right like just or Mm. you don't have to go through it but write (laughs) down what you're throwing away and go okay i throw this away a lot but with Mm. those things like yogurt you know it's hard so what you could do is pick the better option which instead of buying you know 10 two ounce uh packages you can buy one 20 ounce package so Mm -hmm. you're cutting out plastic waste in that way so it's not as much waste because you're buying the bulker option Mm -hmm. so that's a good way to start um and then i think that's kind of where the level of consumer demand can get to where you know maybe in the future yogurts are something that are also on like a bulk refill option. You know, right Mm -hmm. now we have like grains and nuts, and now we're starting to see laundry detergents and soaps and deodorants and all these other things starting to be in bulk where you can kind of bring your own container, fill it up. Maybe at some point, yogurts will get there because, you know, the consumer demand is, is bringing it to that point. Um, you know, also, there's some innovations coming out with uh, companies. There's something called Loop, where some big names, like, um, I don't know exactly which brand names, but big brand names that you'd find in the grocery store are now gonna package in a reusable metal container that you can bring home, you use it, and mm-hmm. then you bring it back to the store, or there's a service that will come and pick it up. So yeah. it's like going back to like the Milkman concept. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I think it's like, it's a, it's that interaction between consumer and business, right, and response, and then maybe government, you know, like has to get in there somewhere to like kind of push both together. Um, but yeah, it, it can be overwhelming, especially when you go to the grocery store, because you know, there's a lot of uh, people out there promoting like, you know, well, you make your own yogurt or, you know, make your own breads and things like that, which, yeah, that's great. But a lot of the times you know we also live in a world that's like extremely demanding on our time
3: yeah, and so you have
2: to yes you have to find balance um and so i think yeah making those making those individual choices that are easy huge 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 impact not to be underestimated um then making those smaller decisions like to buy whatever you're buying in plastic in a bulker option and then Being vocal that you don't like that, you know, Mm. I don't want to have to buy this in this packaging, you know, company do better. And then if there's a, you know, there's so much innovation too coming out with like food product companies, like there might be a food product company then that's like great i'm gonna package in you know this loop way where you can mm. reuse and you can you reuse the packaging and um then they compete out with the other guys and then they have to compete with them and have better yeah. you know so it's like i think if we're vocal about it too it will kind of spur that innovation and spur that competition in the business markets to be better
0: I guess the other thing as well is to find alternatives. Like I know that when... when <laughs> this always happens to me. <laughs> we're thinking about going traveling and rather than taking like shampoo bottles, we're thinking about taking um, shampoo bars or even with toothpaste, rather than buying a toothpaste tube, you can buy the little bite things that you pop in your mouth or instead of deodorant, you can buy one that's refillable. Like I think there are more and more options, especially in the kind of beauty wellness Mm -hmm. realm of things I know that food is Mm -hmm. slightly different because you have to be careful of sell by dates and all this kind of thing whereas I think you know just trying to google it and just trying to find alternatives to things that will just be easy to buy on Amazon as well but there are good solutions like there are lots of different things coming out at the moment that I think are better so
2: yeah I I totally agree so it's funny you just say like google it because I always feel silly (laughs) telling people that but I'm like literally anything you're like, oh, I need to get this. I'm like, do a quick Google search. on Eco-friendly X. Yes. And you will be surprised at the innovations coming out, but they're just not like on the market shelves yet necessarily, or like being advertised to you because they're smaller companies. And then you're also supporting those small companies getting Mm -hmm. started in the eco space. So yeah, honestly, like, Google it is a great solution <laughs> as well. Just Google everything.
1: <laughs> one that I loved, Rosie, that you got actually, and I don't know the English name, I don't remember, is it. the thing to clean your ears.
2: <laughs> oh, oh Q- yeah. Q-tip. Yeah, yeah.
1: like you, you got some reusable ones. Uh, yeah, they're made but... from
0: recycled plastic, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, But they're supposed to last, you know, like a thousand uses rather than single use. And that was... Mm-hmm. I remember yeah, seeing that, that, a photograph of... Um, a seahorse holding on to a q-tip and also the turtle with the straw in the nose and those two in particular Mm -hmm. I was like holy shit that's mad so you know every little change like even it's a little thing even if you use it 10 times rather than one time it's so much better so yeah finding solutions and alternatives and googling things I think is (laughs) top advice (laughs) I,
1: I, I think on what you said before by buying bulk I think Rosie heard I'm just going to buy a big tub of ice cream tomorrow rather than 10 (laughs) marines. I'm going to save the planet
0: and buy a big tub of ice cream.
2: (laughs) Well, you could go to like a local ice cream store and bring a big (laughs) container and have them fill it with ice cream. There you go. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Now, something you said also about um, the, the brands has to be responsible. I remember when you go to Publix and... I don't want to blame those guys because, I mean, they're not doing the job. They have to be educated about it. But when you see them putting one item per plastic bag or doubling a plastic bag because there is something that's heavy, that is fine. Like, you're getting in a car, like, three meters, you know. Like, there's some basic education to be done there that would reduce drastically mm-hmm. the amount of plastic bags going out of the doors for a start. And and also, I remember in, in Miami, uh, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, when Miami Beach, Surfside, everyone were talking about um, actually banning plastic bags from all the stores on the beach and stuff like that. And and I don't know, I've got a memory that we were living in Surfside and we had a Publix there, that they postponed the, 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 the thing going on and Publix could actually carry on having plastic bags and... I don't know, there is like some obviously big lobby and with the politics going on, that, I mean, and I know you work with Miami Beach, uh, like hashtag plastic free MB, you work with the city on, on those issues as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the the issue in Florida is we have something called a uh, preemption law in place on, on local municipalities banning plastic bags. So essentially at the state level, there is a ban on local communities banning plastic bags. So There's a ban on the ban. <laughs> so, yeah, Good. I did. Um, it's been in place for a while. There's a lot of initiative now to overturn that, to basically bring home rule back to local municipalities when it comes to this subject. Um, th- so, that's kind of where I think you're talking about, where the Publix was like, Probably, no, we yeah. can still do this. Mm. Um, there was a big lawsuit about this. Um, But that being said, there still are like caveats to that where city governments can regulate their own properties, they can regulate their own contracts, so their public parks that are owned by cities, um, the contracts that the city engages in um, with outside companies. So they can basically regulate themselves, but they can't regulate private businesses within their footprint okay. until the state removes that preemption. Um, So given that constraint, you know, we are working on those programs like Plastic Free MB, because we are basically helping educate businesses on how to eliminate single use plastics, um, including plastic bags, but we're doing it in a way where they become part of a movement, come be part of of a campaign, are recognized publicly and enthusiastically for their commitments, um, and they basically become a Plastic Free MB member. And we're doing Mm. this so, you know, the community is pushing it forward, businesses are already getting on board. So then it kind of becomes, you know, a little bit less of an issue, like, state, why are you preempting this? Like, all the businesses are doing it anyway. <laughs> right. um, so that's kind of our philosophy with that. And, and our way to work around that limitation is to, you know, because people have been fighting that limitation for a really long time. And it's like, all right, well, let's just help these businesses do the right thing and be recognized for it and be excited about it. Um, and then it doesn't really matter that they're not yeah. told not to do it. They're not doing it anyway. Um, so we're kind of working around it in mm. that way. Mm.
1: It is, yeah, it is It is a really interesting, I think, topic because it is also uh, like big companies like Publix and stuff like that is one thing, but also you've got the the little guy in, in, in the street somewhere in Miami, Beach that just got, you know, ice cream and, and he's selling some, I don't know, Pokeball or whatever, like the small um, little restaurants or whatever. And, and I understand also like it's he, on his side, It's a business. He's paying a really expensive rent, probably for his location. He has employees. Uh, he has a lot of taxes to pay and everything. And sadly, the truth is uh, buying a bag of thousands plastic bowls and plastic spoons and everything is way cheaper than buying buying non-plastic alternative right now. And and he, he has to make a living and he has to pay his employees and everything. and. Um, the alternatives right now are still pricey compared to the big spoon of, I don't know how many thousands of spoons you can buy. So there is some work also there to do. Like it's, it's easy to blame them, but I understand also as a business, they have things to pay. They have maybe small margins, and those little things might impact the margins a lot. So it's, it's not that easy as it sounds. Like, yeah, just replace that. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not just... And-
2: Exactly. And that's kind of what we try to help those businesses with. We work with the small businesses uh, because they don't have the time or the money to like figure it out.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, But we did build out a calculator on our website that basically demonstrates the return on investment that you as a small business owner will get if you switch from disposable to reusable. Um, So you can calculate what your initial investment will be, how quickly you'll get a return on the investment and what your um, savings will be in the first year and second year because it's actually really impressive the switch from disposables to reusables, how much you actually will save over time and how quickly you recover that investment. So we built that out so that business owners can see that and understand a little bit more that it actually is a good business decision. But in terms of the alternatives, um, they actually luckily... Are becoming less and less expensive and more and more competitive with plastics, but
3: okay.
2: when those margins are really small and restaurant margins aren't very big,
3: mm-hmm. they do
2: have a hard problem. So what we what we um, work with those companies on is starting like a re like a refill program. Mm-hmm. So especially with like smoothie shops, because a lot of the time yeah. there's not a great alternative for the cups and things having some type of refill program, um, where people can bring their own, uh, cup and get some type of benefit, whether it's like refill it five times and get a free drink or refill it and get like a discount or refill it and get, you know, some type of, uh, something, um, which has been really, uh, successful as well. Like, and it, and it also provides them with like a, marketing opportunity um so you know that that's been a good program and then it it builds on that refill mindset which i think is great because you know the more we can kind of just bring our own stuff where we go Mm -hmm. um you know i don't know if you guys have ever been a burning man no
0: No. we've heard about it (laughs) okay
2: um well burning man you have to bring your own cup everywhere Mm -hmm. um and you refill every everything and it's like totally normalized in the culture and so, like, I went, and was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and it's, like, that's just what's expected. And you're there's no one going to give you a cup. Like, that's not yeah. going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I'm, like, looking forward to, like, that, you know, that kind of mentality being there. And then, you know, they also have something called uh, no moop, which is no matter out of place, M-O-O-P. And so it's, like, very, you know, don't leave anything behind. Leave no trace. So – Anyway, I don't know how I got on to Burning Man, but um, <laughs> the re- the refill culture. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's cool. We, we help businesses implement those types of programs, too.
1: I can't tell you how many times and to how many places we took your cup that we got at the <laughs> yard. Yeah, we still <laughs> got it. Yeah.
2: Amazing. You know, it's so funny. People, like, send me pictures of the DFO reusable <laughs> cup, like, all over the place. They'll be like, look, I'm at a festival. Look, I'm yeah. here. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. I love it. So, the business started around seven years ago, I think you said at the beginning. Um, What's that process been like from the start? That must have been quite scary, just the three of you kind of setting off on your own. How has that been the last seven years? Because I know now you've got 10 employees, I think Jeremy said. Oh. And then also after that, what's your plans for the future? Like, Do you have any big dreams of things you're dying to get done and say that you've accomplished? Yeah. Okay.
2: So it's been a wild ride. I feel like we're in (laughs) our, I call it our next phase of growth, which is really exciting. Um, So yeah, starting it, I basically, you know, just put in some of my own money to get all of the filing documents needed that I needed. Um, You know, and it was a little it was a little scary, but it wasn't too scary because I was working at the same time. So this was kind of just like, all right, I'm going to have this project. I'm going to work and I'm going to see how it goes. It got really intense at points because the ocean started growing and I was working as um, a commercial, uh, commercial real estate attorney for a bit. And that was a very time demanding position. Mm -hmm. And so I was waking up at like, three, four in the morning, working on DFO for like a few hours, going to work, coming home late, working on DFO. Um, So it was intense. Um, And then I, you know, luckily was given a job where debris Free Oceans was something that they supported. And so I could kind of simultaneously work on on both a little bit. And then you mentioned we have 10 employees. So that is definitely a... um, over that is not true oh. um i wish you have a team of 10 people um, <laughs> yes i have a team of 10 people okay most of who just dedicate a lot of their generosity of their time um i have one person who is now moving towards a full-time employee he has been part-time oh. since last january they're our first employee so i'm mm. awesome. very excited wow. um and um and we've been growing and so we're we're ramping up her her role. Our program director, Maddie Kaufman, she's amazing. You may have met her. Um and then I'm also going to start taking uh, as of recently, a more active um regular presence in the organization to start moving it forward. Uh, because we are in this next phase of growth, which I'm really excited about, which I guess brings me to my future plans. So What we're looking at now is we've created this framework of our programs that we're calling the Debris-Free Cities Framework.
3: Um,
2: And it's essentially targeting individual cities or just specific geographic regions, cultural kind of bubbles, Mm -hmm. and targeting them on a holistic level for plastic, uh, plastic pollution initiatives. So kind of like what we're doing with City of Miami Beach, Mm-hmm. where we're under this campaign umbrella of Plastic Free MB. We educate schools and students and get them engaged and working with the businesses. We work with the businesses and help them transition and get part of the program and be certified as and recognized as a Plastic Free MB business. Um, and then we're working with the government on curating and creating those campaigns, the Plastic Free MB campaign, and then helping them roll it out Um, helping them develop any legislation that they might need, helping them, um, you know, promote that to the community. And so we really want to replicate that in Mm -hmm. other places. So, you know, doing a, you know, plastic-free Miami, because there's a city of Miami, Mm plastic-free Coral Gables, there's a city of Coral Gables, plastic-free, or even sub-neighborhoods, like plastic-free Coconut Grove is the Mm -hmm. neighborhood I live in, plastic-free downtown, um, and just kind of curate a really holistic way of engaging a local community into uh, their sustainability efforts and doing all of these events and programming and consulting within them. And what we've found is that, you know, when you can kind of build that camaraderie in a community and target it from all these different angles, it really seems to be successful because, you know, everyone's kind of getting on board to this initiative. So, um, that's kind of where we're going. And we're hoping to work with more and more cities to help them roll out similar campaigns and get their communities inspired to take action and make change.
1: Ultimately, I love the work that also you're doing with the kids going to schools and and stuff like that to educate them because, um, Look, reading this book when you were younger uh, impacted you and first raised the awareness because you didn't know about that. So first it brought something up to you and then you decided to take action to do something about it. Um, if we educate the younger generation right now, when there are young teens, um, they're going to know. They are. It must be fun also when they go home and, and tell the parents, we should be careful with what we buy mom and stuff like that for a start. So they're going to do some little educational games with the parents and and it's going to be fun in the house. But also they're going to be adults in in 10 years, in 15 years. They are going to be business owners. They are going to be politicians. They are going to be lawyers and God knows what. And if this generation is as many kids as possible is aware of all those issues and they have, an idea of the solutions, thanks to all the education you're providing, they will be able to, they will be the actors of the changes at all these levels. Uh, We won't won't rely on those old people that don't give a crap (laughs) and stuff like that. And you know, this guy who created this law to ban the ban, don't know who this guy is, but uh, yeah, so educating the younger generation is is key. It's going to have an impact on everything else later. So
2: Oh, yeah, no, it definitely and it, it already does. And, you know, I think you're spot on. And that's something I highlight for them, like, you know, whatever you end up being when you grow up, quote, unquote, you can take this with you and incorporate it. Or young kids start companies and entrepreneurial ventures all the time, like go yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's funny, you say take home information, to our parents, like I've, it was a roundabout story but some a friend of mine you know was working at a house um with a student that we had educated and the mom came out and realized that he was affiliated with us in some way and was like oh my daughter came home and talked about debris free oceans and what they educated and now we're not allowed <laughs> to use ziploc bags and we're not allowed to do this and and so i was like oh wow like it was so cool to hear that because it's like wow That really does happen. Like Theoretically, you're like, that's what will happen. But you're like, that really happened. And then um, another person, once we took them out on one of our cleanup trips to Elliott Key, which is a little island in Biscayne National Park, and it gets super slammed with trash that comes up on the Gulf Stream from the Caribbean and all other places. So it's really quite eye-opening because you're in a national park and you see like thousands of pounds of trash on it. Um and so you know we took this this individual out with us with it, with another group and it was really fun and then a few years a couple years later he starts his own nonprofit and I was like oh that's so cool I'm so glad that you started that and he told me he was like oh it was because of the trip you took us on oh wow i started this nonprofit because i wanted to do more for the ocean and so now he's like a big, prominent nonprofit here in Miami, like doing awesome, amazing things. He's got a great social media page, educating people about water pollution. I'm like, this is amazing. So it's like, yeah, (laughs) you you don't realize it really until Mm -hmm. like people kind of tell you. And like, those are the things, honestly, that like, keep me going. Like, I think back Mm -hmm. on that. And I'm like, you know, on days where I'm like, oh my gosh, this, you know, because everyone goes through that no matter what you're yeah. working on. You're like, yeah. is what I'm doing, does it even make sense? And I'm like, you know what? People have done things because of things that we've done. So I'm, we're going to keep going.
0: Yes, keep going, keep going. You're inspiring so many people and helping so many people and obviously helping the environment and just doing incredible things. I can't wait to see where you go and everything you accomplish. Awesome. Uh, well, you guys got to
2: come back yeah <laughs> we would love we to so.
1: <laughs> i would highly recommend everyone to check out your website debrisfreeoceans.org because you have a blog there with many 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 articles um so there's a lot of information is actually out there about what we can all do to uh, to help and also some just educational content about what's going on and and stuff. So I would highly recommend checking this out. Uh, Check out the Facebook page, group page, for all the events coming up. Uh, You you have cleanups on a regular basis, right? In Miami? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, we have multiple a month.
1: Yeah, so check this out and join. You're going to do something good and it's super fun. Highly, highly recommend it. Honestly, guys, you won't regret it. Yeah, you'll meet
2: your best friends yeah
1: <laughs> i guess donate also if you want to tell us a little bit about that that can that's yeah can help
2: yeah it would be great um for people to donate as i mentioned um we're growing we're going into this new space um we're wanting to roll out these programs in different cities um and you know we're right now we're we're looking to develop some fundraising campaigns we've never done that before um we've always just kind of people have given us money and we've 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 made it work um but yeah we're looking for donations for anyone who's interested in supporting us growing this work into more and more cities um and educating other groups around the country on how to use our framework in their own cities
1: if people also wants to get in touch with the the organization or maybe with you (laughs) uh on a more personal level to, to reach out because they have a question what's the best way to get in touch
2: yeah. So definitely send me an email. Um, my email is katie at debrisfreeoceans.org. But if you just email the generic email of the organization, it also comes to me. So that one's <laughs> a little bit easier. It's just hello at debrisfreeoceans.org. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from people. And you know, if you're in the area to get involved or if you're somewhere else and um, you know want to spread the word, I'm happy to talk too.
1: I also recommend following the Instagram page because you, you post educational content and, and stuff like that on there. So that's a, also a good, a good one. Everyone's got Instagram. So uh, I've got one last question for you, Rosie. Yeah, you good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no <laughs> more last... for me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one last question that we ask all our guests is if we could, if you could have a conversation with someone dead or alive that you think is the most interesting person in your own eyes for whatever reason, it doesn't have to be famous. It can be anyone who would you pick and why?
2: Dead or alive. Um, okay. For some reason, this is the person that I'm thinking of, but I think it would be really interesting to speak with Jane Goodall. Um, because she was a pioneer. So for people who aren't familiar with her, she was the one who really started to study the chimpanzee and um, began to raise awareness about, you know, the, the brilliance of these animals and um, all of that. And so I think it would be really interesting to speak with her because she's older, has a lot of wisdom, and is a pioneer as a female in the conservation space.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and I think it would be really interesting to talk to her about her journey and what she experienced and she's inspired and touched so many people with her work and to see, you know, what she thought were the best methods for inspiring others, because she's clearly done an amazing job of inspiring people to care, um, about those animals, so
0: such a good answer i love this question because i don't think any answer has been repeated yet and we've done i don't know how many episodes and we always hear about different people either we don't know about or maybe we know a little bit and we heard their name so good answer thank you for
1: sharing (laughs) yeah no thank you so much katie for taking the time to educate us educate everyone on the topic and yeah sharing with us some little tips on how we can improve a little bit on our individual level because we can all do that with little things like you mentioned before and uh, yeah i highly recommend to follow katie check the website there's plenty of content out there they're doing an amazing job you and your entire team so well done on that because you're you're all doing really great
2: awesome thank you guys so much i'm honored to be on the show (laughs) and I look forward to staying in touch. And yeah, anyone who wants to reach out, please do.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Katie. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave us a review. That really helps us out. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Bye.
3: Bye.